so how many of you ever heard the saying, no pain, no gain? Y'all heard that saying before? How many of y'all have experienced that, like literally, no pain, no gain? You know? And, and there is some truth to it. And I was thinking about it. It kept coming to mind as I was thinking about this week's message and then kind of really with people all week, talking to people. And, and it's kind of cool how everybody God put in my path all week. It, it all comes out in this message. You're going, oh, no, I talked to him. He's going to bring me up. Maybe, maybe not. It just, you know, uh, uh, I still didn't wear the shirt. It's got to warm up a little bit. When I wear the shirt you got me that said, beware, anything you say and do will be used in a sermon someday. But uh, I, I'll try not to get too personal on anything. But, but it was amazing as I was kind of, God was putting everything to kind of gather. It was like, oh, Man, that's what happened. That's what came out on Monday. Or that's what came out on Sunday night. That's what came out on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day. And it was just kind of interesting as he was putting it all together. But it all kept coming back to no pain, no gain. And I was sitting there thinking, it was like, man, when did that really come into my life? When did that come into play? And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, my, I have older brothers, 14 years older than me. I buried him last year. Um, I have a sister who's 11 years older than me, and then there was a break, and then there was me. So I always joke that I was raised by hippies, and, uh, but I was actually raised by people older than me, and they always pushed me harder than what, you know, you would push yourself, man. So I always had kind of that no pain, no gain. Like they would drop me off on the other side of the lake, and then they would take off, and I'd have to row the boat back and not even know how, but I learned. You know, just different things that we do like that. But I started thinking of no pain, no gain, and I started thinking about peewee football. Anybody here ever play peewee football? Were y'all old enough to actually play peewee football, man? Dude, most of you know I grew up on the west side of Orlando when Orlando was a cow town. Literally, there was nothing. In fact, all of West Orlando was at that time. There was a place called Pine Hills. And you know why they named it that? Because there were pines on hills. <laughs> Literally, it was, uh, they had built Martin Marietta, and uh, uh, I might have been called that at the time, and it became Lockheed, there was stuff. But they needed a neighborhood at the end of Kirkman Drive where all of the engineers and rocket scientists and everybody could kind of live. And so they built this neighborhood called Pine Hills. And when my dad got his illustrious job at the post office, he could barely afford it and bought a house in Pine Hills. It was supposed to be a golf course community. It was supposed to be like, oh, this is it. But if you know anything about Orlando, neighborhoods after neighborhoods after neighborhoods are built. And as your neighborhood gets older, it becomes more ghetto. So we grew up in kind of a backwoods ghetto. <laughs> uh, it was kind of like, my name is Earl, you know, if you've ever seen that show. But uh, it, it, it was one of the oldest neighborhoods, but one of the first neighborhoods. But before it really started going downhill, man, it was the community. And on Saturday mornings during the wintertime, I remember it being cold, man, and it gets cold in Orlando. And, uh, but I remember winters uh, in, in, in Orlando on Saturday mornings, the whole entire world would come together at the Pine Hills Boys Club to the, to the football field that was there. And from the time you were like eight years old to nine to 10, 11, 12, and 13, dude, there was peewee football. And it was just intense. I mean, everybody who was anybody was there. People for generations came back to watch the games that started at like 7, 8 o'clock in the morning and didn't end until about noon, maybe 1 o'clock. It was just a phenomenal thing back in the day. 
And you know what made it so competitive was the fact that you, you didn't really like, you know, every year you, be, you got on a new team. So you start when you're seven years old and you're on like the Broncos or the Giants or you're on a team. And, and then you're working so hard so that the next year when you're on a new team in a new age bracket, that now you get drafted by really one of the good teams because nobody wants to be the best player on a, on a bad team, right? I mean, didn't we talk about that last week? No, some of y'all did, actually. But, uh, but anyways, man, you'd always work your tail off so that you would get drafted by the next league up, you know, the next year, the best team. And then you'd work your tail off there to get moved up and get moved up. But it always started with something called, and they called it conditioning. Anybody ever been through conditioning? Yeah, I was thinking of conditioning when I was in college baseball and, and the conditioning we had in St. Augustine. And I was thinking about all that and I was like, no, God just kept bringing me back to peewee football. Seven years old, man, you're finally old enough to play peewee football. Man, we've been playing tackle football in the field forever, out in the street. Dude, we couldn't wait to actually get real pads and helmets. And, and how many of y'all remember those helmets where everybody just had like one little, uh, one little guard on front? Not the whole cage. Dude, if your team had cages, you were intimidating, man. Everybody just had this, this old school stuff. But we wanted to play peewee football. So we get seven years old, and all of a sudden, prior to the league starting, we'd have conditioning. And as a seven-year-old, you're scared to death because they were two-a-days, and you had heard the horror stories. Kids, literally, you'd watch them come home from conditioning, and they're puking their guts out. You'd watch kids that they couldn't even walk, man, and they were hurt. And there were kids that actually got hurt in conditioning and never got to play. And it was almost like that was where you were going to pay your dues to prove that you were able to play. We don't live in a world like that anymore. Those kids would have got participation trophies now, but I'm just saying, dude, you had to work your tail off to even get to the draft. This was a two-week thing in Orlando before it actually got cold. So if you can imagine Orlando where there's no sea breeze, man, where there's mosquitoes, where there's, it's just hot, and you're going out there at 8 o'clock in the morning doing conditioning, and you do it until noon, go home and eat your own lunch, then after lunch come back and, and have to do it again from 1 to 3 o'clock. As a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old, as a nine-year-old. And, man, one of the things I really remember about conditioning, we'd get out there and, yeah, they would teach us how to stretch. And we're kind of like, oh, this is really cool. Then they'd have us get on the ground, and we'd start doing sit-ups. We'd be doing push-ups. And I remember leg lifts. Anybody remember leg lifts? Anybody remember leg? Yeah, leg lifts, man. You'd have to lay there, and we'd always cheat and put our hands under our legs like that. But you'd have to lift your leg up and say, oh, Spread them together, down, up, spread them together, down. Anybody been there? Yep. Dude, that was it. And, and you'd be like, seven or you're done. And you'd be cheating, and the coach would come and he'd kick your hands out from under you. He'd be like, put your hands on your chest. And then when people started cheating at the end, beat your stomach. So it'd be, up, spread them, beat your stomach, up. And then together, up, and down. And you'd go, and then after we get done doing all those, legless was the killer. Legless were kids were rolling over and just throwing up and then laying back in it again. It was like, I mean, this was real. This was no soccer mom stuff. No offense, Ashley. I'm just saying, man, that's where we get that turn from. Literally, man, this was football. You know, the mud was mixed with your vomit. And it was like, ah, 
You know, and that was from seven years old to eight years old to nine year old to ten. And man, and you you had to do it again. So the first week, the first day, you're doing your you're you're doing all this stuff. Then they make you get up and run sprints and run sprints till you couldn't run anymore. And then they're like, all right, now start circling the field. And we'd have to circle the field till kids were just dropping out. And they're like, if you don't get up, you're not getting drafted. Man, we lived in that cruel world. How many of y'all lived in that world? Yeah, it was good for us, wasn't it? I think it was. Some of y'all are like, oh, no, you can never do that to my babies right now. But we, that's what we lived in. And, and, and that is where we were at. No pain, no gain. And dude, then there came draft day. Oh, my goodness, draft day, where you found out what team you're on. I got to be on the Giants, and I was number 37. And I didn't make running back. Quarterback was the top one. Running back was second, but fullback was third. And I made fullback, dude. I was the guy that made holes for other people. And I was the guy, the short yardage guy, man. And, and I worked my tail off because the next year, there was a dude who coached the Broncos. His name was Gary Smock. I cannot even believe I can remember that. You know how many years ago that was? 48 years ago. <laughs> and and, and uh, the 10-year-old team, Gary Smock on the Broncos. His team killed everybody every year, and you wanted to be on the Broncos. I was number 37 again, and I didn't make quarterback, I didn't make running back, but I was a fullback again, so I was number three on there. And, and Gary Smock, you know what? Before Gatorade. Anybody remember before Gatorade? Before Gatorade? You know what our sports drink was? Most people water, Kool-Aid, you know, but Gary Smock had a secret weapon, man. He took... Orange juice, Florida orange juice, we grew up in the middle of the, in the oranges, right? but orange juice and honey. Oh, dude, he would take a little, like a little Dixie cup. Dixie cup, y'all remember that before? Dixie cup became politically incorrect. Little Dixie cup, put orange juice in, and, and, and filled it halfway with honey, man. It was just, that, it's actually pretty good. Fill it up with honey, it's a little orange juice, mix it up. And we sucked that down, and we felt like we were invincible. That was his secret drink. And you didn't know what that drink was until you actually got on the Broncos. And after you left the Broncos, you couldn't tell anybody or you'd be dead. <laughs> All right? But it was orange juice and honey way before we had any kind of other stuff. Yeah, he's gone now, probably. Hey, dude, watch me get a text from Gary Smock saying, no, you gave away my secret, man. But everybody, man, we went through those two-a-day conditionings. I mean, literally after the first day, hey, what would happen right, Gary, what happened right now if you decided you wanted to run a marathon by, in, in six months? All right, so would you just go out right now and just go practice and run a marathon? No, no what would happen? I would fall over. On the way down the stairs. <laughs> I'm just saying, it takes training, right? It's a training. And so that's what this conditioning was. Anybody who played any sports, you know the first day of conditioning is horrible, right? The first day hurts. The first day, you cannot even do half of what you're going to be able to do when it comes time for game day, right? But that's what conditioning is. It gets you in a position where you can play the best that you can play. And you know what I found out through years of athletics? I'm done now, obviously. But <laughs> what I found out in athletics is that the better condition you are, the better you can play. And I kept thinking of that in the realm of suffering. Because we suffered. Laura, that's how we knew you was from baseball. Get your team's condition. Yes, even baseball teams condition. I can show you scars on this leg where I blew out cartilage because I had to run too much. I'm just saying it's all about condition. If you're not in condition, you can't play the game. And everything God puts us through, 
Everything God allows us to go through is to make us be in better spiritual condition so that we can play the game. He's getting us in shape. That's the purpose of suffering. Man, I know I almost don't even want to put the title out on Facebook or wherever because we're in 1 Peter. And it's all about suffering. 2 Peter's about suffering. And so I'm not saying that's where we're going next, but people are going to read it. Oh, suffering again? It's like, man, when are we going to get off suffering and get on the good stuff? Suffering is the good stuff. I didn't like when I had to do those leg lifts. Ah, spread them. Beat your stomach. Ah, you know, it was great stories afterwards, but in the middle of it, it wasn't all that great. But, but you know why Gary Smock's team, the Broncos, why they were so good? Because they were in condition. They were tough. They got trained. They got in good shape. They were in better shape than everybody else, and it made the game easier. And that's what God is teaching us through Peter. That's what Peter's teaching us about suffering. It's all there. It's like he is your personal trainer. How many of y'all ever had a personal trainer? Anybody have a trainer? Yeah. You just had a doctor, right? The doctor, you don't care. You didn't like very much when he said, Karen, you can't eat cheese, can't eat chocolate. And then all of a sudden, she's like, okay, so how far do I have to go before I can start eating cheese and chocolate again? And the doctor's like, well, Karen, you can. <laughs> you know, you just can't go back. And so again, we have trainers. Trainers, we hire trainers. There's people that actually hire trainers to, to all right, lift again, lift again, do this, do this, you know, to get you in shape. God is our personal spiritual trainer. And everything he is putting us through, man, is to get us in better spiritual shape. We may not like it at the time, but the benefit is going to be awesome because we're going to be tougher for him. And I don't mean that, that way. We're going to be stronger for him. You can apply it to any kind of shape you want to. And again, here's what we want to do. I want to eat tacos and I want a six pack. Here, <laughs> I, want, I want both of them right now. You can't. You gotta. You gotta pick and choose what you want. And so, when we're going to suffer, how many of y'all know we're going to suffer in this world? You're going to suffer in this world. If you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. He says you live righteously. You're going to be persecuted. But God allows it in our life for a good reason, and we can't get the result we're even looking for without that. Hey, coach, back there in lacrosse, which, by the way, is not a comedy sport like soccer. I'm messing with you guys in soccer and, and Rick. But I, I said that one time, and, and I accused lacrosse of being a comedy sport. Because when I grew up, man, it was basketball, football, baseball. Those were the American sports. Gosh darn it. <laughs> you know, they were the American. And, and then soccer came in and infiltrated. And we're like, well, that's one of them European things, right? Right, Tom? Um, you know, and uh, well, from Philippines, you brought it. But I'm just saying, man, and, and then lacrosse. But then I find out lacrosse is actually an American sport, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, the Native Americans, right? They, they kind of started it, which is pretty awesome. So we'll let you guys in, all right, on all that. But, but coach, how much time goes into training? How much time goes into conditioning? Depends on how good you want to be. Exactly. And it's the same way spiritually. It's the same way spiritually. It depends how much like God you want to be? You want to pray every time pain comes? God, take the pain away. Oh, God, it hurts. Stop. And, and, okay, fine. Go ahead and be a spiritual couch potato, man. That's as far as you're going with me. But God brings pain and suffering in our life to make us more like him. So it all depends how much you want to be like him. Some of you are like, well, I think I'm good right here. <laughs> you know? But there's going to be more. So when you are suffering... Man, you should learn from an expert. How many of you would love to hire a personal trainer 
go through six, seven months of that personal trainer and have absolutely no results because they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> Would you feel like you wasted your money? You know? Well, that video series I bought on January 1st that they were advertising on TV, <laughs> you know, that, that didn't work out for If you're going to train, why not have the best trainer there is? Why not have the best coach that there is to be able to teach you what to do? So when suffering or training or conditioning, learn from the expert. Hey, so let me ask you a question. Who is the expert at suffering? Jesus. Jesus is. Who is the expert at everything? Who's the expert at everything? Jesus. Yeah, by the way, it's your first time here, but um, if I ever ask you a question, I'm, oh, you know, uh, just say God or Jesus. All right? That's usually the answer, and I can reel it back into making you look correct. All right? <laughs> and then tell everybody you're really sleeping. But that's all right. But Jesus, yeah, he's the expert at everything. Don't you want to learn from an expert? Don't you want to be trained by an expert? He is the expert. Now, as we begin 1 Peter chapter 4, this is what Peter tells us, that he is the expert. Last week we learned that, man, he suffered more and worse than any of us will ever suffer because we don't have Jesus to help us. He didn't have God the Father to help him when he was on the cross. He suffered worse and more than we will ever suffer. And so he is the expert. He knows. And he's the one allowing you through it, and he can help you understand the purpose or at least you can have faith and trust him that there is a purpose. But he's the expert. So when you want to know, why are we having to do this? Why do I have to go to See if he'll give you an explanation. But know that we know all things work together for good. To those who love God called according to his purpose. He's got a purpose. And maybe you can't understand it. Maybe you can't handle it right now. I'm thinking of an illustration. As Carol and I were walking through the woods the other day, I shared this, but Corey Ten Boom. Have you all heard of Corey Ten Boom? Anybody read The Hiding Place? Okay, read it again, read it again, read it again. Listen to it, whatever. Corey Ten Boom, The Hiding Place. And it was interesting. Each time I read, every time I hear it, I hear something different. And, and, and listen to this. This is an illustration. So, uh, sometimes you're like, well, I ask God. He doesn't tell me why. He doesn't give me an explanation of why, why I'm doing this. Maybe it's too heavy for you. And here's the illustration. Corey Ten Boom in that book, she's actually at the train, and, and she's taught, she did a lot of traveling with her father at the train. And she goes back and reminisces things he taught her. And, and now, as a young girl, she was heard about sex. And she wanted to know about sex. And she was a young girl, and she asked her father about sex. And he was there on the train. He said, hey, Corey, hey, can, can, can you just grab my big, heavy bag and carry it the rest of the way for me? And, and, her, and she said, no, Dad. He said, why can't you carry it? She said, he, she said, well, it's too heavy for me to carry. And what a great illustration. He then said to her, he said, you know what? There's some things emotionally and mentally that are too heavy for you to carry. One day you'll be strong enough to carry this. And when it is, I'll let you carry it. But until then, I'll carry it for you. And you have to trust me. Do you get that? If God doesn't tell you why, if God doesn't give you the explanation you're looking for, just maybe it's too heavy for you to carry. Maybe it's something you can't handle, and that's where faith, which is the only thing he prays, the only thing he ever prays people for, maybe by faith you just have to trust him that if and when it's not too heavy, he'll let you carry it. And maybe when you do get to carry it, you'll be like her when she did finally carry it, say, here, carry, I'll carry it a little ways, but here, you carry it. It's a beautiful thing when God carries those things for us. And maybe we're just not ready. So when suffering, learn from the expert. All right. So the first thing he's going to tell us in all of this, 
The mind of Christ is the best weapon you've got. <laughs> the mind of when you are dealing with conditioning, you are dealing with training, you are dealing with suffering. Both Paul tells us this, Peter's telling us this here, James, Jesus' brother, tells us that, that, that the mind of Christ is the best weapon you've got. <clears throat> the mind of Christ. You remember, Paul says, yeah, I have the mind of Christ. I have the same mind in you, which was Christ who came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, and he died the death of a sinner so he could pay for it. Have the mind of Christ. Know what your purpose is. Look at this. The mind of Christ is the best weapon you've got. Just one little piece of one verse. Since therefore... So Peter writes, since therefore, and, and what he wrote, the therefore is therefore you to see what was prior. You look back in the previous chapter and you see that Christ suffered more and better than any of us. He's the expert. So since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That's the mind of Christ. Arm yourself. Arm yourself. Hey, when I say, Matt, arm yourself. What do you think of when you think of arming somebody? Yeah, you know, yeah, a weapon. And if you need a weapon to arm yourself, what does that mean? It means I'm going to be in, in something aggressive or in defensive mode. Or yeah, there's a reason. Arm yourself. Because maybe there's a wild hog coming after you, you know. Maybe, maybe there's people. Maybe there's a, you have to arm yourself to protect yourself. So it's interesting Peter uses this word. He says, arm yourself. Arm yourself. What happens if you're in a position where you need to arm yourself, but you don't arm yourself? What happens? You're dead. You're dead. Yeah. Wait, wait for somebody else to help you out. You're dead. All right. And so he says, arm yourself. Don't wait for somebody else who's armed to help you. Arm yourself. And I'm not preaching 2A or Second Amendment right here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking spiritually right now. He said, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Arm yourself. And so... So again, against we don't fight against flesh and blood, do we? We fight against principality, we fight against powers. So he's telling us in any form of suffering, we need to arm ourselves. And we need to have some form of protection. And according to this, Tom Van Giesen, which I'm so happy to see you and Vicki back. And I hope you had a great time in St. Martin, but I am so glad you're here. Tom, if we're going to arm ourselves, what is the best weapon that he says we can pull out of our arsenal? Yeah, well, he says the mind of Christ, which is where we get. We get it from the word of God, which we're going to go to. So everybody help me out. If you're going to go into your little spiritual cabinet and you're going to look at weapons and pick one out to, to arm yourself. Sorry about that. To arm yourself against any form of suffering, any form of suffering. What's the weapon you're going to pull out? The what? The mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, his mind. You've got to think like he thinks. And, and, and when do you have to think? Hey, TJ, how often do you have to think like Christ thinks? Yeah, every, every single step, every single decision. It's not like, don't you, don't you, don't do all this. And then all of a sudden, oh, here's something big. Now I've got to think like Christ. How many of you ever had that happen before? Where all of a sudden God throws something and they're huge in your life. And you're like, oh, now I've got to think like Christ. When you've been thinking... Like yourself the whole time, and you've gotten yourself in a bad situation. There is never a time we can't afford every single decision. What do you want me to do now, God? And we do it. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. I have said forever in here, this is the key to a spirit-filled life. It's asking that question every moment. What do you want me to do now, God? And then you do it. And you keep moving forward. How many of y'all believe 
that if you take every step God wants you to take, you will end up where God wants you to end up. Amen. You believe that? Amen. Yeah, then why do we always want to know? We always want to know what the goal is. We always want to know how it's going to end up, don't we? And then we run to the end and we get to the goal. We're like, okay, now what, God? It's like you missed everything in between. It's the journey. It's the walk. It's not the destination. You want a destination? You're believing your destination is where? Heaven. Heaven. You're going to end up. Take every step he wants you to take. And that's what it comes back down to. Again, you've seen this illustration. I've shared with a rowboat with walking. But if this is what you want me to do now, God, Bruce Lee, what happens if all you ever do is say, what do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do now, God? You see how I thick in my nose because you're doing nothing else but just asking him. You're doing nothing. What do you want me to do now, God? What happens if all I ever do is ask him what he wants me to do, Bruce? I go in circles, right? But Nate, what happens if I'm just that ambitious person? I'm always like, I'm doing this for you, God. I'm doing this for you. But you forget to ask. What's happening now, Nate? Still nothing. You're still going in circles. Which one's better? Which is a better circle to go in? Neither one of them. And chances are you have a tendency to do one or the other. Some of you are cautious and you're always, I don't want to do anything unless God wants me to do it. And some of you are like, oh, I'm not sitting by. God will direct my steps. And you're both going in circles when the spirit-filled life is, what do you want me to do now, God? And do it. How many of you have ever heard God answer you when you asked him? How many of y'all believe God won't answer you? How many of y'all believe he will answer you? Yeah. Charlie, I love, Charlie talks uh, sometimes in small group from up north or whatever and, 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 and talks about how he gets into a parking lot. This is one of the little reminders Charlie has in his life to ask God to do exactly what I'm saying. He prays for parking spots. <laughs> Anybody else pray for parking spots? It's like, God, give me that perfect parking spot. In Florida, it's usually in the shade, all right? It's different than up north, you know, but I'm just saying, pray, little things. Does God really care? Yeah, and it's not where you park. What God cares more about is the fact that you're having communication with him. Isn't that what he wanted in the garden? What did he want with Adam and Eve? Fellowship. But they sinned and separated themselves. Man, Bob, when he comes, when you come to pray to him, it's not like, oh, dadgum, there's Bob again. Bob, when are you going to get it? How many times do I got to tell you? That's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? But is that really the way it is, Erica? No. He's like, oh, yes, it's Erica again. She's not going to try to do it all on her own. Oh, yes. She's going to actually ask me. And I'm not saying that's indicative of you by any means. A little bit of each of us. But he's going to be like, oh, my goodness, there's Erica. Yes, I was so hoping she'd ask me before she did what I think, what I know in my ambition she was going to do. That would have been so bad. Ask me, Erica, ask me. He wants you to talk to him. So since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, and he's the expert of all of this, he suffered more than us, better than us, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So again, when you go into your arsenal to deal with any kind of conflict, any kind of suffering, anything, Bob, you got an arsenal, don't you? Shame you lost it on a boating accident. But when you had that arsenal, man... You know, in case ATS listen, but when you had that arsenal, man, when you go in and you got suffering, what is the best weapon to pull out? The mind of Christ. Yeah. The mind of Christ. He knew what his purpose was. Hey, when Christ came, did you know what his purpose was? Yes, sir. John, what was his purpose? Purpose to go on that cross and suffer and be 
Yeah, as a baby, everything he ever did was for the purpose of living a perfect life so that when he went to the cross, he wasn't paying for his own sins. He was paying for ours. He kept that inside. When they, were, when they arrest, arrested him illegally in the middle of the night, that's not fair, right? That's not fair. Do you think Jesus could have put a dream team of lawyers together? What do you think, bro? Dream team of lawyers? But he didn't. Why? Because he remembered his purpose, and his purpose wasn't to win a court battle. It wasn't to get out of suffering. His purpose was to suffer so he could be our savior. He knew his purpose and nothing was going to stand in the way. Oh, dude. Hey, John. John, do you like being spit on, bro? No, no, no. I don't even want to know. Most of you don't like being spit on. That's a good thing. But can you imagine if you're God and people are making fun of you and spitting on you? How many of y'all people are just literally spitting on you? Camden, hunking loogies, man. I'm saying people are spitting on you. And you, how many of y'all would get really irate and mad? How many of y'all would be pretty upset? Yeah, dude, stop. And they don't stop and they do more. And you could call down thousands of angels to just basically do whatever to them. Would you do it, man? Probably. <laughs> I'm saying that's where our human is. Why didn't he do anything when they were spitting on him? Sabrina, why didn't they do anything? Why didn't he do anything? Because he remembered his what? His purpose. He remembered why he came. And if we can remember why we're here, so why are we here? We're here to be, he, he created us as a brand new creation to be his ambassador. That's why we're here. That's why he didn't take us to heaven when we, when we gave our life to him. He left us here to show everybody else who he is. If we can remember our purpose in all of that. But how do we know? How do we have the mind of Christ all right, look at this little thing down at the bottom. The word of Christ plus the spirit of Christ equals the mind of Christ, all right? And again, that was just so I could remember this because this is what it takes. It takes the word of God. If you don't spend time in the word of God, then you don't really know who God is. That's where he reveals himself. He reveals himself in the word of God. And again, if you spend 15 minutes a day in the word of God, awesome. That's better than 10 minutes. But man... If you really want to know the mind of Christ, you immerse yourself in the word of God. You read the entire word of God, not just your favorite passages. I had somebody the other day, uh, and again, I hear this a lot, but, and I don't even forget, I don't even remember the whole context, but it was like, I talked about the Old Testament God being different maybe from the New Testament God, the, you know, uh, you know, vengeance and so on. And, and, and I hear this a lot from different people. Oh, God, Jesus is all just love. You didn't read the last half of the book of Revelation. He shows us many, 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 many ways how he's going to destroy everything. Right now is a time period of grace. But we got to read the entire word of God. So we can, and whatever it is that he wants you to understand, he'll make that pop out. How many of y'all went to a Bible study for the first time? John, you went the first time the other night, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and when you went, did God show you something? Did God show you something? Oh, yeah. yeah, he makes something stick out. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God is the author. It's like going to a book signing. Anybody ever been to a book signing before? You go to book signing. Why do you go? Because an author wrote something and I want and, 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 and what if you had a question about that book? Would it not be best to go to the author? You have the author. You have a continual book signing alive inside of you right now with him. So you got to go to the word of God, but you need the spirit of God to interpret this for you. You're continually asking them how to apply it. What do you want me to do with it? There's one interpretation and many applications, but you've got to put the time in the word of God.
many, how many of you have read the entire Word of God straight? You've read it all the way through, at least once. Good. Man, I want to encourage you to pick it up and just read it. And read it with a telescope as opposed to a microscope. So often what happens is we start reading it, and then we get tripped up by something, we stop. And we don't go any further until we figure it out. Now, we do need to do that at some point. We do that in church. We do that in Bible studies. But in reality, how many of y'all, when you read a great novel, isn't that the, what, a, what an author does in a great novel? Is they put some tension. They put some mystery in. Where all of a sudden you read like, ooh, I don't know, what, I don't know, know what's going to happen here. So Tara, you read that by that author and you say, ooh, I don't know what's going to happen. So do you stop? And you, and you like think about it and you ask other people, what's the best way to find out what that author is going to do? Keep reading. Keep reading. Read till the end. You're like, oh, that's awesome. Linda and I watched the movie last night. Hey, what was that movie last night? I don't know. There was a movie about some dude. He, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I got right. There was a movie about some dude, man. He's a scientist. Him and his wife actually go over to uh, Germany, Belgium, I don't know, somewhere in Germany, and they're going to do this science conf. You know, he's supposed to speak is what it was, and he forgets his briefcase, and they're trying to get in the hotel, and, and all of a sudden he takes off, and he go, forgets his briefcase at the uh, uh, airport, so they have to take the car and go back to the airport, and the taxi driver, you know, he's just trying to get him there, and they go off a bridge. He, like, the, the, the whole thing crashes, and his wife supposedly is in the hotel room. Now, I mean, I have to tell you, like, dude, I have no idea what you just said. What movie is that? I know, yeah, yeah, dude. And so, so man, he goes down. The taxi driver, it's a girl. She breaks her way out. She sees he's not there. She dives down, breaks him out, and all of a sudden, the dude for like four days in the hospital. He can't remember anything. He's like, oh my goodness, my wife, my everything. She's, you know, she, she's there, and, and he finally breaks out of the hospital, and he can't. She doesn't recognize him. It's all messed up, and, and it ends up that. He's actually an assassin. Her and him are assassin. Oh, I just ruined this for all of you. Out of but what I'm saying is we're watching. I didn't really write it all for you, but it was so cool because I'm watching this movie and, I'm th and you're thinking, oh, what a terrible thing to be unknown. What a terrible thing for all this. And you're like, I don't get it. Where is it going? So should we have stopped the movie right there? Holly, would that have been why? Stop the movie and let's, Linda and I have a discussion. And, and let's talk about how we think this is all going to end up. No! What's the best way to find out how it's going to end up? Watch it! Watch it. <laughs> and there, some of y'all, I, I think, have had partners looking at you saying, yeah, shut up and watch it! But ask a question. When do y'all get in trouble like that? But, yeah, the best way to find out how it ends is watch it! And it's the same with the Word of God. But the devil so trips us up. Oh, well, you don't know who the ten horns are with the seven-headed beast. With the, you don't know what the word is on that horn. So you better not read any more of the Bible because you can't understand. When in reality, you know what the one book, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. The one book in the word of God that promises a blessing if you read it is what book? Revelation. Why do you think the devil gets you tripped up on all these little horns and beasts and whatever? Most people don't get all that because we don't live in that context. It was actually written so that the churches could open it up, read it all the way through in one little short church service, which is way longer than ours. And they would read it and say, wow, cool, got it. We don't live in that context. But I guarantee if you read Revelation from start to finish this afternoon and didn't stop for the things you didn't understand, 
I bet if you started and read all the way through, God would make at least one thing stick out. How many of y'all believe that's true? Amen. And how many of you believe the one thing he made stick out would be from the Holy Spirit of God that he wants you to apply to your life? And it might not even be till the end where it's like, dude, you win. <laughs> You're on the winning team, so keep going. But yet we get so tripped up by the little stuff. We don't know who God, you know what we do? We create our own God. It's, a, it's so crazy, man, when I read the word of God, I'm like, oh my goodness, God, thank you for revealing yourself to me. I thought something else, it's only when I'm reading it do I really know who he is. And when I have the, the spirit of God, in fact, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the night before he's betrayed, man, he's there having a supper with his, with his buds and he's like getting ready to go through being separated from God the Father. And while he's trying to explain to them all these things, what are they doing? Hey, Rena, what were they doing? While he was trying to tell them all this deep stuff in John 14, what were they doing? Huh? Yeah, well, that was when they were praying, but while they were at dinner. No, they were arguing. And then what were they arguing about? Who's going to be ruling the kingdom with them? They still thought he was going to kick Roman butt. And it was during that time that he's given us John 14. Go home and read John 14 to find out what you have, an inkling of what you have in the spirit of Christ. He said, if you obey my words and do what I say, he said, man, I've got a comforter, a paraclete to walk right alongside you that's just like me. He says, I have another comforter. Another, and that word another is not like, okay, so I have rainbow flip-flops. And, and I don't know what kind you have, but what do you have? Brown. Brown, okay. And, and so it's not like another one like it. He's talking about another rainbow flip-flop. He's talking another comforter exactly like the one he is. It's only going to be in a different form. Jesus said, you're going to be able to do so much more with the Holy Spirit living inside of you than you could ever do with me physically being here. Because, dude, I, if Matt gets to have the Holy Spirit up in Wisconsin, dude, I ain't going up there. <laughs> but we can have the Holy Spirit in Wisconsin. You can have him in Florida. You can have him on the beach. You can have him in the woods. You can have, he's in us. And he says, I'll teach you, John 14, 26, I'll teach you everything you need to know. Hey, so Carol, if you're reading the Word of God, and there it is, and you read it, is he going to teach you what you need to know? He is. You may not get it right away, though. No, but what you do get is what he wants you to apply. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, Carol, I don't know, you know, are, are, are you a pretty good eater? Am I a pretty good A pretty good eater? Uh, yeah. Do you think you can compete with me? Could I what? Compete with me? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, it's on. <laughs> it's on. Okay, do you think Keone... We'll try it. We'll perlate. Dude, Keone, you get a big T-bone steak in front of me. Carol, what are me and you get a big old porter hood? We get a fight over there. You get one and I get one, and we're going to demolish it. But what are we going to do if Keone gets one? Keone, he's going to look at it. He might lick it. <laughs> I might give him his pocket knife now that he knows you don't lick pocket knives. But he can cut it, and we can cut a little piece. In other words, for him to eat it, it's got to be cut in bite-sized pieces. But whoever cuts it up is going to cut it up in a form that he's going to be able to digest. Does anybody need to cut my steak up for me? Charlie? 
Do I even need a fork and knife? Yeah. No, dude. So. That porterhouse has a bone. And if it didn't have a bone, that because Jesus said the Holy Spirit is another comforter exactly like him. He's not going to go against what Christ said. He's not going to go against what the Word of God says. They're going to confirm each other, and it's going to confirm in your heart where the Holy Spirit lives. So, man, I'm just telling you, your best weapon is the what? Mind Christ. Brian, what's your best weapon, bro? Christ. A change-up, yeah. If you throw that curse on Sterling, man, his change-up could make silly. Yeah, you out with spiritual war and suffering, your best weapon is the mind of Christ. So, next thing, uh, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, um, where's Terry? Terry's in the keys right now. So, Charlie, how long can a couple more verses take? I always ask Terry that. So, all right, so your best weapon is the mind of Christ. But look at this, this next part, what he tells us in the second part of this verse, he says, suffering in the flesh causes us to cease from sin. Okay, so look at it real quick and we'll look at it. He says, for whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Two ways of looking at it, one right now and one later. Hey, Bruce Lee, when you die, where are you going? Heaven. You're going to heaven, okay. Uh, yeah, so when you go to heaven, is there any more suffering in heaven? No more sadness, no more sickness, no more pain in heaven. So after you finish suffering on this planet as a believer, where do you get to go forever where you'll never suffer ever again? Heaven. And isn't that awesome? And you'll, Bruce Lee, you ever get, oh, Ryan, I got to ask you this because I know Bruce Lee is on the play. Ryan, you ever got in trouble for doing something stupid? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad I didn't ask you, Bruce? No, I'm just saying. Do you know that when we get to heaven, we will never be able to do something stupid again? How many of y'all are grateful for that? Yes! We will never, ever be able to sin again, which causes us to suffer. We'll never be able to do anything suffer-worthy in heaven. That's one way of living. But while we're on this planet, there is a saying in the world of counseling, and you know it's true, that until the pain to change is less than the pain to stay the same, you won't change. Until the pain to change is less than the pain to stay the same, you will not change. If you can do what you continually sin and you can continually do what you're going to do and you know it's wrong and you can tolerate the consequences and you can have your cake and eat it too, are you going to change? No, you're not going to change until there ain't no more cake to eat. You're not going to change until, until there's consequences that, whoa, if I keep this up, these consequences are going to hurt. And more than, than the benefit I'm getting out of this sin. How many of you are so astute, so pious, so spiritual that you're reading the Word of God, oh, don't do that. And you're like, oh, no, I, I quit immediately right now. I don't, I, all you got to do is tell me, God, I'm good. I will never, ever do that again. How, how many of y'all, you know, that's all it takes. How many of y'all need a little consequence? You need a little encouragement? Now, God's not doing it to punish us. That's to us. How many of y'all ever had to give consequences to a child in order to get them to do the right thing? How many of y'all ever had, as a child, to have consequences? In the it's a big room, too. All right. Go ahead, All right, go ahead. Okay. You see, he's struggling hard to get it. That position there, okay, and don't lie to you, okay, and it's Bruce Lee right there, all right, so this is when he had together and stayed there until I got done preaching today. <laughs> 
Let me ask you a question. All right, say I took somebody older like me and I got in that position like that. What would happen? What happens when you finally get to come out of that position? It's gonna hurt. Oh my goodness, you're stuck in that position. Your bones are like you 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 conform to it. And so no matter which way you go, you're gonna conform. And he says we're gonna be transformed from the inside out in all of this. But but listen, when you start doing the right thing, it becomes easier. Okay, and Bruce said, this ain't the right thing. <laughs> yeah. but, but you understand my point. Right now, it was very uncomfortable for him to be that way. But I'll bet you, if I put another chair right here, all right, Bruce, just take four chairs, man. Take, take four chairs. I'm going to spread out right here, bro. Just spread out, and there you go, man. All right, how's that feel? That's a lot better. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You me, man. <laughs> Not that much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, 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 cease from pain to change, and pain to stand. So, again, so, so, uh, uh, so the third thing that he's done all this is that, is that when we're suffering, we got to learn from the expert. We, have, our biggest weapon is the mind of Christ. Don't look at me that way, man. The biggest weapon is, you've done worse things for Zane, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, the mind of Christ, that is our number one weapon. He's using this suffering as a motivation to have us change, but he wants us to have a different motivation. And the different motivation is to make God's name worth more, not make it worth less. Okay, so help me out with this. And this came up about three or four times this past week as I was talking with different people. Hey, what's the first commandment that he gave the Israelites? Everybody remember? <clears throat> love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And that's how Jesus said it. But he said it. Have no other gods before me. Don't have any other gods. I'm your only God. And the second one he gave them, he said, oh, yeah, don't try to make a statue of me. Don't try to make some graven image. I know you all want something tangible to kind of look at and say, oh, this is God. We just worship. Do our own thing. But we've worshiped this tangible thing. And plus, when you make a statue of me, it's really just not going to turn out all right. Hey, Mac, are you an artist? You're pretty artistic. My what? Are you pretty artistic? Artistic. Autistic? Arti artistic. So, 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 Mac, let me ask you a question for Holly's birthday the other day. Okay. What, what if Mac would have got a big life-size canvas and tried to paint an oil painting of you and said, Holly, here's, I love you, and here's my rendition of you. What would you have thought of that rendition? <laughs> you get my point? You get my point? Mac probably would not have been able to do justice of that. And, and there's only a few of you that would have been able to do justice on making a rendition of somebody like that. But God says, dude, first of all, I don't want a physical image of me. I'm a spiritual image, and I want you to know me by my word. I want you to know me by my character. I want, when you see something godly, I just want you to know that's godly because that's what I do. That's how I want to be known. It's too easy to describe a physical image and go live and do whatever you want as long as you can bow down to that, that physical image. He said, that's not what I want. I want lifelong surrender of you doing what I've called you to do. And so he said in the first one, he said, have no other gods before him, but he said, don't try to describe a physical image. And then he said, don't take the Lord's name in what? In vain. In vain. And you're like, well, I, I don't use that as God's last name, so I'm good there. Right? And that what most people think? Well, I don't cuss like that. I don't say that. But that word vain means worthless. It means you make something worthless. And so when he says, don't take the Lord's name in vain, you know what he's really telling us? He's saying that every time your actions, every time your words, every time your decisions make the, name, the Lord's name worth less, you're taking his name in vain. How many does that change the game for right there? You know what I'm saying? 
Like, I don't call, I, I bet if I would have taken a survey coming up the stairs and you filled out the paper, nobody would be like, oh, I haven't said that word since I got saved. I haven't said that word since that barbell fell on my toe. I haven't said that since, you know, the boating accident, whatever. I'm just saying, I don't talk like that, so I don't take the Lord's name in vain. But that's not what it means. Taking the Lord's name in vain is your actions, your decisions, your words, the things that you do where you make God's name worth less. And so our motivation in life needs to be to make God's name worth more with everything that we do. Take a look at this uh, part of the verse here. So he says, so as to live for the rest of the time. The rest of what time? What time is he talking about here? Yeah, the rest of the time you're on this planet. How, how long you got, Boston? Don't know. None of y'all know. And some of you, again, looking at you, you ain't got much time. You better make the most of it. Some of y'all think you got a lot of time. You don't know either. We don't know how long we have. But he said, so, so now that you're saved to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer. You're not living for the flesh any longer. He saved you. You're set for life. You have a home in heaven, an all-expense trade, paid trip to paradise. And he says, now don't live for the flesh any longer. You have been blessed with something you can never earn. You've got to... Man, the, you're set for, for eternity. Don't live in the flesh any longer for your human passions. Don't do what you want to do. It's not about you doing what you want to do. But he says you're now living. He says, I'm encouraging you to live for the what? Motivation is for him. Uh, I've shared a couple times this week. Um, uh, and, and there's a proverb, 2416. Somebody turn 2416 if you have the Bible real quick. And uh, I'll, uh, different translations in this, but in case I get stuck on this, but I really want you to see this proverb because I preached this a long, long, not here. I don't think I've ever just man times. This is probably the King James, New King James Version, but in all the translations, it's about the same. A just man falls seven times, but the wicked, and gets back up again, but the wicked will stumble in, or fall into mischief. A just man falls seven times, gets back up again, but the, the wicked fall into mischief. And in that, so we start with this, the first part. He's action, yeah. So, and say, God, please rescue me. And I guarantee you, he may let you sink a little bit further down. Because I think some people on those episodes went to quicksand more than once. They didn't learn from their mistake. <laughs> you know, and God may let you sink a little further, let you may learn from your mistake. But I guarantee he's going to rescue you. Or he's going to take you home. <coughs> but right now, if you're here, he's rescued you. But you cannot quit sticking your hand up and saying, rescue me. And he snags you out of here. But listen to what this next part says in this verse. But the wicked will fall into mischief. The word wicked is not some deed like rape, murder, stealing, cheating, lying, any of that. The word wicked in Hebrew is talking about a motivation. A wrong motivation. So for believers, what is the only right motivation? Anyone? What is the only right motivation for God? To glorify God. And if you do anything, you sit through this explosion, you don't jump in the same flood of debauchery, and they slander you. That's where you get opposition a lot of times when you're trying to change, is from the people you used to hang out with. You know, and all that. But, he says, I want you to know you don't have the answer to them. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge, hold accountable the living right now and the dead as of that writing. The one that, that, that had it, the ones that died knowing what they were supposed to do and the ones that are living knowing what they're supposed to do right now. He said, God's ready to do that. God's ready to judge and God's going to do a better job. 
You don't have to answer to them. You don't have to answer for them. They're, everybody's going to be accountable for themselves in this. And sometimes I think I see people get sucked back into stuff they don't want to be sucked back into because of peer pressure. Is that a thing, peer pressure? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. You want to try to please everyone. Who do you need to please? God. God. And that's what he says. Don't do that. But look at this last verse. One day your battle will be over. Victory will be won. For how long? Forever. One day you will not suffer ever again. Look at this. He said, this is why the gospel was preached. Even to those who are dead. Now, he's not talking about preaching to dead people. Because once you die, it's already determined where you're going. He's saying to the people who heard the gospel and died. You know, the people who heard the gospel and died. They're, they're, you know what? The gospel's preached to them and it worked for them. Or it didn't work. He said, the dead, prior, uh, that those judged in the flesh, the way people are, physically die like all people. So everybody's going to die physically. But he said the gospel's there so they might live in the spirit the way God does. So here's the deal of what he's really talking about in here. He says, look, everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to sin. You're either going to have your sin covered or your sin's not going to be covered. And he said the gospel's being preached so you, when you die physically, you can live spiritually with God forever. In the end, Revelation, challenge you to go read the great white throne judgment. Here's what it is. He said at the end, I think somewhere around chapter 20, maybe 19, somewhere in there. But he says, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. And that's Jesus. He's there. And he's coming down to the people that all thought they were going to be judged according to their works. The people who thought that, yeah, I, I'll compare myself to Captain Mack and Holly who claim to be Christians. I'll compare myself to Laura. I'll compare myself to Gary. I'll compare myself to any of those Christians. And I know God's going to reach down and I'm better than all of them and I'll be good. They realized everybody deserved to go to hell when they saw the king. They saw him on the throne. And he's on the great white throne. And you know what? All the people who thought they could give an answer and talk their way into heaven, they start running and hiding. And they're crying for the rocks to fall on them and kill them to escape judgment. And it was at that point then that the, the judgment opens. There's books and there's a book. You can read it. You'll see it. There's books. And the books are full of all the works that you and I have done our whole entire life. And then there's another book, which is the Lamb's Book of Life, that our name gets put in when we give our life to Christ. And we say, I don't want to be judged according to my works. I want to be judged according to his perfect works since you require perfection and I've blown it. And so it says he opened the books and all those that were being judged out of the books, their works all end up in the lake of fire. They all end up in hell because we've blown perfection. But if you're judged out of the book of life because you're trusting what Christ did to pay for your sins, to cover your sins, you've got an eternal home. And so though we die, we die physically, he said one day we're going to die physically and never suffer anymore because we're going to be in heaven. And we're going to live spiritually in perfection. So understand right now, God is our, God is our trainer. When suffering, learn from the expert on everything, which is Christ. His mindset's the best weapon we've got. Don't forget your purpose on this planet from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home, which is to be his ambassador. Realize that suffering in the flesh is necessary. It causes us to, to stop sinning. Make God's name worth more, not less. And last but not least, remember that you don't have to answer to others. And one day your battle will be over and victory will be won forever. Your suffering will be done. It will be over. Let's pray.
Father, <clears throat> go back to that no pain, no gain scenario and uh, thinking about that. And um, Father, you've got so many purposes for the pain. And none of them are to hurt us. None of them are to mess us up. Every purpose for this pain is good. It's to bring you glory and to make us more like you. Father, I pray that, um, that as we do suffer on this planet, as we, um, as we go through the, the trials that we're going to go through, I pray we realize they're all ordained by you. And, and Father, we never forget your purpose in any of this. Father, I've preached all this that's going on, and Father, as a believer, I just pray that um, we would not miss a single thing you're doing in our lives. Father, I think back of conditioning in Pee Wee football, how if they'd have put us in pads that first day, we'd have gotten killed. <laughs> but after the conditioning, man, we were ready to play an awesome game. And Father, all you're trying to do is condition us. And Father, if there's somebody here today that's going through pain, going through suffering, they're confused, and they're just wondering why you hate them, wondering why you're punishing them, wondering, wondering why, what they did to deserve all this. Father, I pray you would bring them comfort, and you give them a desire and ability to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you. Father, so that uh, they would understand the purpose. Again, that you're trying to make them more like you, and you're gonna bring glory. Father, if you don't get the glory here, you're going to get the glory in heaven. It's going to be one big praise, glory session, where we all proclaim what you have done for us. So, Father, I pray we would start that now. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.